Do you or someone you love have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder? Do you want to find hope in treating this? PTSD can be treated. And we're going to talk about the DSM criteria. Um, I'm Dr. B, Christy Bundakumara, psychiatric nurse practitioner with over 20 years of clinical experience and honestly, most recently have been struggling with some PTSD symptoms related to the morning I found my daughter dead. If you know my story, you know that I struggled with depression before I have a reason to be depressed. And I have lost more than one child. But we are going through a series called Demystifying the DSM. And I am going to be very specific on PTSD symptoms and a diagnosis of PTSD. Okay. This is a disorder that is complicated because we know that trauma actually changes biochemically things that are going on in the brain. And complex trauma makes PTSD symptoms more difficult to treat. However, uh, they can be treated. So if you've been following me in this demystifying the DSM, you know that each DSM diagnosis has multiple criteria that need to be met in order to have that diagnosis. And with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, okay, there are uh, several criteria. We have A, B, C, D, E, um, F, G, and H. And all of those need to be met before you actually have a PTSD diagnosis. As I share with you some of my symptoms, I do that because I want you to know that I'm coming from um, professional experience, but also some personal experience. But I actually don't meet all of the criteria, and that's what we'll go over um, in another video. There is acute stress disorder. There is um, what we call in the military post-traumatic growth. I'm claiming that for myself in that Yes, I've experienced trauma, but I want to grow in my personal development, in my mental health, my emotional health, and my spiritual health from my trauma. And so a PTSD diagnosis has to actually meet all of this criteria. I love working with our veterans and our active duty military because We are teaching resilience and we are teaching how to change uh, post-trauma into post-traumatic growth. And so I do want you to know that there is hope that you can grow from this, um, but there are real uh, neurobiological changes that can occur in trauma. So let's go over the actual criteria for PTSD. Criteria A has to do with actual exposure. Now, this is direct exposure. Um, In my instance, I found my daughter dead. I was 
praying for her to be alive. I was doing CPR on her. There was blood. This, the details of this um, is my exposure, this direct exposure. There's also people who witness a trauma. Maybe, um, you know, you witnessed uh, someone being murdered or you witnessed a specific trauma. It could also be learning the details of a loved one's trauma. And so I, I try to be actually a little um, light when I talk about the details of my daughter's death because it's not, it's not about, you know, those details to expose other people. Um, but we get this uh, both directly and indirectly as mental health professionals. And you see this with police officers, EMT workers, obviously military, where we're getting this kind of repeated indirect exposure where, you know, I am constantly hearing about uh, other people's trauma. But as a professional, I have learned, you know, boundaries. I've been able to not take on any of that and call it my own exposure, right? So criteria A for PTSD is exposure. Criteria B is some sort of intrusive experience that you do not feel like you have control of. Okay. So this could be memories, dreams. I'm often uh, woke in the middle of the night from um, a dream. Many of my uh, PTSD friends and clients who have experienced military PTSD talk a lot about this, that they, they feel like they're fine. Everything's fine. They go to bed. Um, their life feels safe. And then they wake in these dreams. Um, having memories, uh, you know, a trigger, you know, for example, uh, today I saw one of my clients actually had on a shirt that my daughter has. And it was a trigger. It brought memories. It wasn't a true flashback because a flashback is more of a disassociative uh, type thing. When I saw this t-shirt that my daughter also has, um, I remembered my daughter wearing it. I, you know, these things kind of came up, right? This can happen in grief as well, and this this is why I teach, and, and I'm a big proponent of cognitive behavioral therapy, but we teach the mentally strong method that allows you to divide these things. As a mother who has lost children, obviously I have extreme grief. That is treated differently than trauma. I do not think I experienced trauma with my son's death, uh, Reggie's death or Johnny's death. But with Maya's death, I actually experienced trauma. But when all of their deaths, I experienced grief, right? And these are dealt with differently. And so what happens often in trauma is that everything gets enmeshed and it's really hard for the individual to really think through those problems and organize them, right? So we're talking about the criteria for PTSD, exposure, 
and these intrusive thoughts, um, memories, dreams, uh, or distressing emotions around a trigger. Again, knowing that this is from trauma versus grief is important because we would deal with these from a psychological um, aspect differently. The third criteria, A, B, C, the criteria C, has to do with you have to have some sort of avoidant um, behavior or choices, like you're trying to avoid those triggers, you're trying to avoid reminders, you're uh, avoiding memories, which is different than grief. And again, I, I keep going back to the mentally strong method because for my trauma, as I experienced with my daughter, I should avoid re-traumatizing myself thinking about that day, that trauma. But I should not not think about my daughter. I should not not think about grieving the loss of my child, right? I need to do that. And this is also true um, you know, with military soldiers or anyone who their trauma is directly associated with their grief. They lost somebody in that traumatic event. You must grieve that. But if you avoid, based on your PTSD symptoms, you may not be able or may not be going through the grief process in a healthy way. So, Criteria A, B, and C, you have to have at least one of those symptoms uh, to meet the criteria. Now we have criteria D, which has to do with mood and cognition. And we know that low neurotransmission causes uh, symptoms of cognitive symptoms and depressive symptoms, you know, ahedonia, like loss of interest in things that we love, maybe uh, difficulty with emotions, maybe heightened emotions. Um, uh, you know, maybe there's problems with, you know, memory, negative beliefs about yourself. These are all also symptoms of depression. And maybe you've never experienced depression before your trauma. Just the trauma alone can decrease neurotransmission and cause these symptoms of depression, anxiety, irritability. All of these things are indications of low neurotransmission. And this is why we often will recommend an antidepressant as part of the treatment. Okay, It's important to be treating this as the whole person. Do I believe that everyone with, you know, isolated, you know, direct PTSD needs to be on medication? No. However, I often get this resistance in people who have never experienced depression or anxiety and now are experiencing it based on their PTSD. They are hyper-focused on the cause and, you know, not focused on how do we get neurotransmission up. It doesn't matter what caused the low neurotransmission. The stress by itself caused it. What's important is that we get it up. And I often talk to people about, you know, I've experienced depression before I ever had a reason to be depressed. And I can tell you 
at this particular time in my life, I am not taking antidepressants. However, I have taken them in the past. And if I do decide to take them again, I will be honest about that because I think this is where the stigma problems start with mental health. It's like, you know, it's either you do or you don't. You believe in it or you or you don't. It's not a belief system. We know that this is science. We know that stress, trauma by itself without a genetic predisposition to depression decreases neurotransmission. So you must do something to bring up that neurotransmission. Now you could potentially do that with diet and exercise and sun exposure. We know all of those things can naturally bring up neurotransmission. But if you're so down on yourself that you don't even want to do any of those things, please consider medication. So we talked about um, um, criteria A, which is exposure, criteria B, which is some sort of intrusive thing that's happening, criteria C, which is avoidance, all of those of which you have to have at least one symptom. And then now criteria D, where you actually have to have two symptoms of mood and cognition to meet criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder, okay? The next is there needs to be a change in arousal. So this is criteria E, and here you also have to have two. So um, irritability, restlessness, hypervigilance, difficulty concentrating. These are changes in our uh, arousal. And you have to have at least two of these symptoms. Um, criteria A, B, C, D, E, F is uh, all these symptoms have to be uh, impairing function for longer than 30 days and not be associated with a substance, like using substances. So you're not using alcohol, you're not using um, cannabis, you're not using other substances that could be contributing to these factors. So you can see that it actually takes a a cluster of a lot of symptoms to be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. In another video, I'm going to talk about acute stress disorder, and this video is very specific to adults, or at least anyone above the age of six. There's actually different criteria for children six and under. So remember, PTSD can be treated It is a cluster of symptoms that have to meet a lot of criteria because we want to make sure that you realize or that there's a a clinically significant impairment post-trauma, right? Because we will all experience changes from any kind of trauma. And I can tell you that I do not, like just in my isolated trauma, I am not meeting the criteria for all of these things. It's not impairing my function. Um, I don't have more than two, two or more of the mood cognition. I do not have two or more of the arousal. I am, I have been exposed. I am having intrusive uh, memories, dreams, and flashbacks. Um, but I'm not avoiding them either. And, um, and so I am kind of going head on and, 
um, trying to evaluate, process them, think through them, organize them. But I think what happens so often in post and PTSD is that this one thing, if it's one thing now, complex PTSD, um, you know, for, for people who have been raped several times or there was uh, molestation or abuse over a long period of time. Can you imagine the biochemical changes that are happening there? Um, those people, that is a kind of a complex PTSD and, um, you know, may take a long time to process through, right? But again, getting that comprehensive care, you know, going for medications uh, if you need to and getting good um, therapy, both cognitive behavioral and, you know, specific trauma therapies, specifically for complex PTSD. But um, for isolated, you know, I have experienced, you know, this one horrific trauma. I want to challenge you to make that into post-traumatic growth. And, it, you know, get the help that you need. Let's get some cognitive behavioral therapy. But what happens is, is it gets all enmeshed. When we talk about the mentally strong method, we have 10 categories. One of those categories is trauma. But another one is grief. I've talked a lot about how grief by itself needs to be grieved. Like you have to feel that pain. I don't want you going back and re-experiencing the pain of your trauma. That's why trauma and grief need to be separated in our processing experience. Negative self-talk is in a separate category. You have the power and the control to change the way you're talking to yourself. You can't change that trauma. You cannot change what happened to you, but you can change the dialogue, the things that you're saying to yourself in your mind. But oftentimes that gets all enmeshed. You can make choices. That's a separate category. You can avoid addiction, another category. My challenge to people experiencing PTSD is to learn the mentally strong method and get combined trauma therapy so that you can learn how to separate those things. The way you deal with your trauma is not the same way you deal with your anxiety or your choices or your negative uh, self-talk or your triggers. So my challenge to you is learn how to think, organize, and choose. And part of that choice is finding professional help Um, when you need it and having insight into that. So I hope this is helpful for those of you um, struggling with PTSD symptoms. We are in this together. I am here to help you. I'm here to teach you how to think, organize, and choose. But again, finding that professional help um, if you feel like you need it. So that is PTSD in our series of demystifying the DSM. Regardless of what has happened to you, I believe that you are mentally strong.